With that wonderful segment, folks, that meme pretty much expressed my mood after the Michigan State Northwestern basketball game last Thursday that saw the Spartans lose 76-48 to in a game that appeared to be over before it started. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, in the host chair, joined alongside by beat member Bobby Zephro. But to start off, folks, we would be remiss if we did not at least acknowledge the tragedy that occurred uh, in Calabasas, California on Sunday with the loss of Kobe Bryant and eight other souls on board, his daughter Gigi, as basketball, not professionals, but as people who are budding into this profession and who watch it from a collegiate level, you obviously see the influence that he had on colleges, on major universities, on NBA players throughout the country over the years, over the decades, I remember when I was a kid growing up and he put 58 on the Bobcats. Mm-hmm. Then again, everybody put 58 on the Bobcats. <laughs> but just you watched him every day and you wondered how someone could be that good and make it seem that effortless. But obviously, you don't see a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And it's his death is going to leave a really big hole in the heart of the NBA. Bobby, did you want to say something? Yeah, well, not just that. I don't think we'll ever see another player like Kobe and the fact that, like, I don't know, when he, like, obviously I never stood around Kobe Bryant, but, like, just being in the Staples Center, like, there were people in the Staples Center, celebrities, you name it, and they would, like, not necessarily, like, bow a knee, but, like, they would respect the presence of Kobe yeah, Bryant. Yeah. Like, he just had that that killer instinct, like, that rip-your-heart-out attitude that, I mean, not a lot of people have, if anyone has it, like, as strong as you felt it with Kobe. And like I said, off the air, you know, starting to watch NBA basketball, like, eight or nine years old, I was, like, in between the Kobe and LeBron era and watching Kobe in the 2010 NBA Finals. It was just something I'll never forget, and it's really sad, man. It is really sad, and it... It's really going to be interesting to see what the NBA's response is. I know Mark Cuban with Dallas already announced that the number 24 will never be worn again. Mm -hmm. And it will be interesting to see. There's been talk about possibly changing the logo to Kobe, but... Did you hear about the the Hall of Fame? What? What about it? I know Um, that he was supposed to be in, was it this year or next year? I think they were going to just, like, put him in, because I think he had one more year. But they're going to streamline it, yeah. they're just going to say, you know what, put him in. Which, I mean, I agree, but... At the same time, you know, he was going to be a first player. Absolutely, anyway, absolutely. So. Well, with that, folks, we are going to transition to what we normally do every Tuesday evening in the basement of Holden Hall, and that is talk about and digest MSU women's basketball. Spartans had a rough week last week, dropping both games, 76-48 to 48 against Northwestern and 57-74 to 74 against Iowa. And we knew this was going to be a really tough stretch for the Spartans, and sure enough, those scores are evidenced by the fact that Michigan State has shown the ability to beat up on middling teams in the Big Ten, teams that are of a similar quality, Nebraska, Ohio State, Wisconsin, but they're just not at the upper echelon like they were picked to be earlier in the year. And I'm going to start off by going off on a little tangent about Northwestern because I was the only beat member there. We had a couple other fill-ins. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that was... One of the worst displays of basketball I have ever seen, either professional or just watching on TV. And I'm a Bo- I was a Bobcats fan. I was about to say that. I saw them go <laughs> seven and fifty nine and twenty one and sixty one. But when you have twenty four turnovers, it is hard to watch. When you are throwing the ball out of bounds on the baseline while you're inbounding, it's hard to watch. When your two best players, Taryn McCutcheon and Nia Clowden, do not have a bucket. It is hard to watch. If you would have told me at any point this year that Claire Hendrickson would have four times as many points as Nia Clowden and Taryn McCutcheon in any game, I would have asked what you had been smoking. Mm-hmm. And that game was a complete failure from the get-go. And it makes me wonder what went through this team's mind between Piscataway and East Lansing. Because somewhere on that flight, I don't know what it was, but they, perhaps being a young team, 
bought a little bit too highly into my cells. And sure enough, they got brought back down to earth quickly. Right. Well, I mean, you shoot. I'm looking at the, some of the stats here because, as you said, you know, I didn't get to go to the game because I, you know, I like to watch games so I can like accurately. Yes. You, yes. You see things, you know, that don't go in the box score, but you know, just looking at the box score, thirty-five point three percent from three. Four of fourteen from the line. Nia Clowden was missing. Yeah. Free was, throws. It just on the field they were thirty-five point three percent. My mistake. But like. You shoot 35% exactly. in the game, you will win almost 0% of those games. Especially when your best player by far goes 0-7 from the floor, Kayla Bellis, mm-hmm. who had been playing a lot better 0-3. She only had 14 minutes of action because she picked up two quick fouls, silly fouls in the first four minutes of the game. So the brunt of that playing time was passed on to Tyre Parks, who ended up going 19 minutes in that game. Terry McCutcheon goes 0-3. So combined, Nia Cloud and Terry McCutcheon go 0-10 from the floor. 0-7 from beyond the arc. Really didn't contribute that much in any other spectrum. Cloudin had a couple rebounds. McCutcheon had three rebounds, but McCutcheon with five turnovers. McCutcheon getting that blown by on more. defense. And this, is, this isn't me attacking her. It's just my observation. That is so uncommon for her because if nothing else, and this is what Susie said in the postgame, this was the first time that she can remember in a long time of Taryn not playing good on either side of the ball. Because even when the shot's not going in, you know that she is going to make whoever she's going up against life miserable on the opposing end. Mm -hmm. And she was getting blown by time after time after time by that Northwestern backcourt of Lindsey Pulliam and Burton. Well, that, and I'm looking here, they had two quarters they scored in single digits. You can't, like, you can't have that either. They shot 25% in the first quarter they shot. Like, if you can't score a point a minute for these quarters, then... Like, once again, you're going to lose. And and the stats for me are a little misleading. And what I mean by that is they shot 54% in the fourth quarter, but that was after the game had been out of reach. You shoot 25% in the first quarter, and you shoot 26% in the third quarter. And that's when, at that point, you realize this is going to be a long game. Because when that game started off, Michigan State couldn't make a basket, but neither could Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking over to the guy, his name uh, is David Mead, who just joined the station, did some really good work for us. But I look over at him and I say, this is going to come back to bite them in the butt. Because Northwestern right now, you might be holding them down, but there is going to be a point when they're going to go on a little run here and cap off 10, 15 points in a couple minutes. And the fact that you're only winning by three is going to come back to bite you. The fact that they're taking really bad shots, that's your opportunity to get out and run, build yourself a quick 15-point lead so you have a little bit of breathing room. And the Spartans didn't do that. They did not do that, and it was just everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And it's one thing to expect this from expect this from this team on the road because we we become accustomed to that. And I had my doubts going into the game whether they were going to win. I thought there was a good chance. That's why I picked them. But even when they lose at home, they don't lose like this. They don't lose by almost 30 points. When they lose, it's very close. I thought, if nothing else, if Michigan State lost, it was going to be a hotly contested affair, a back-and-forth affair with both teams making big shots and both teams playing like potential tournament teams. And what I saw was one team, Northwestern, who's been at the top of the conference all year long, do exactly what they've done all year. They are the only team in conference that's undefeated on the road, and they proved that. And they made you realize how far you still have to go. The only bright spot was Moira Joyner. I will give her that. About, and I would be uh, remiss. Claire, Claire yes. I, I, we'll three. get on her. Three for three, buddy. You, you got to talk. I'm, I'm In garbage time, when Northwestern's put in their third stringers, I'm not going to dismiss the effort, but I, you know, players that are going to contribute, players that. It's nice to see her get Yes, yes, you know? yes, it is. But. Maury Joyner, 5 of 8 from beyond the arc, 6 of 14 from the field, 17 points. She was the only reason that they even had a pulse in the first half. Everyone else was sleepwalking, and time and time and time again, she was bringing the ball down the floor, making some threes over some really tall and athletic Northwestern players, but she can't do it herself. And it really wasn't much... I mean, looking at the box boards, there's not really... A bright spot I can find at Tiger Parks, three or four from the field, six points, seven rebounds, which isn't bad, but you'd like to see her in 19 minutes of action be more aggressive than just four shots from the floor. 
or a two from the free throw line. Osment wasn't bad, five points on two or three shooting. But for the Spartans, this is evidenced by the fact. And now more than ever, we realize if Nia Cloud and Tierra McCutcheon play well, this team can beat anybody. But if those two have a night off and stick a fork in the team, you might as well not even show up. I was going to say, if those two go... What is go bye bye. That's twenty. Let's see, zero for ten. <laughs> twenty six, twenty seven points of scoring production approximately that you have to replace. Can't win like that. Right. You can't win like that. Like, there's nobody to make up for that. Point? Exactly. Nobody. It, it, there, there's other than that. Joiner. There's really been nobody else this entire year who you can put your finger no, on and say nobody that can consistently. Yes. Yes. Because Mar- they could have a night. You know, you never know. But you know, nobody on this team just stands out to you like. Oh, yeah, like, that's the third option. Like, we don't even know who our third Mardrika Cook, who we talked about, mm-hmm. didn't show up. 0-3 from the floor in nine minutes of action. Julie Aralt, 1-5 from the floor, 1-4 from the three-point line. So, it's all these bench players, Julia Aralt, Mardrika Cook, parts that you rely on that really didn't do much. Mm-hmm. Actually, Nia Holly showed a little bit of offensive potential in the first half, especially. She ended with six points. On two or five from the floor, but she had a couple nice mid-range jumpers. But in all the games that I've done between being a fill-in member of the Beat last year and, of course, becoming a full-on Beat member this year, I have never seen Merchant as incredulous as she was in the postgame. She was absolutely livid. And there was only probably six, seven of us, uh, us, me, Ian Drummond, and David from impact they didn't they had one guy from the state news there and then brian and uh alex who works down in jackson as the sports anchor for the local tv station down there but just pounding on the she walks in in a huff she pounds on the podium and just starts ripping into them and goes i thought our our participant or i thought our preparation excuse me was good for this game they knew that they were going to have to show up she was proud of the way that they scouted that they participated in walkthrough. Northwestern was running a really heavy one, three zone press. Mm-hmm. And I asked her about that and she goes, no, I thought we were a thousand percent prepared. And for some reason we just showed up on the court and forgot that we had a game to play. Right. And it wasn't even as simple as her saying, we didn't play well. We have to get it fixed. She started questioning the mental toughness of her team. And that's something she doesn't do very often. Sometimes, you know, you, you got to. I mean, I, 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 I'm not condemning her. I like right. the move. I'm just I, saying, I say, for like, some coaches, it's, you know, they scream, and every time they lose, they go up and start throwing things. She's, Susie. no, no, she's about she, as even-keeled. Susie gets mad. Exactly. You, you know you attention. screwed up. Yeah. You know you screwed up. And one comment that struck me in particular that even reverberates with me today is her saying, I'm getting really tired in practice. And this isn't exactly what she said, but it's this, the – same general theme is there. I'm getting tired of people taking themselves out of practice whenever they have a little twinge or they're a little sore and missing valuable reps. And I don't know who that's indicative of. I don't really have any I mean, honestly, ideas. It could be almost anyone. Exactly. I mean, but with injuries but she goes, team, but... these players need to learn how to play hurt. There's a difference between playing uh, sore and playing hurt and playing injured. Okay. General fatigue, you have to play through at this time of the year. Obviously, if you have a broke, a torn ligament or broken bone, that's different. Mm-hmm. But just general fatigue and like a little bit of general inflammation, inflammation, you got to go. And I, I, in football was if it hurts after it, like three days, then go see a doctor. Yes. If you're still like you know, if it don't, if you're done hurting after three days, congrats, you were sore, you gained more muscle. And I don't know who that. I don't know who that was indicative of, but it was just that little offhanded comment that made me turn and go, what? Who is she talking about? Because there's obviously a preponderance to do that. I don't know what players keep taking themselves out, but she went. Should we speculate? She I, she called out McCutcheon's performance, and Taryn comes into the post-game room after they have those two big tables in the media room where you can sit down and talk to the players, and it was her, and it was Moira Joyner, and she was really upset with herself, and it's not. She's the one person that, like, as a reporter, as a journalist, it hurts. It hurt me to see her take it that personally because she's the Kyle Arns of this team. Every ounce of energy, everything that her body could give her, she's given this program. Mm-hmm. 
and she's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, maybe a little bit more than she needs to, you know, trying to play through the broken finger, trying to play through the sore Achilles. And in Big Ten play, you're playing every three days, so it's not like there's a lot of time to really rest and recuperate. This isn't, you'd rather have this happen in early December. Exactly. You'd rather this happen in early December when you have two weeks between each game. Mm -hmm. And instead... She was demanding more out of herself. Nia Cloudon wasn't in the post-game press, but she was frustrated out on the court, and it was just everybody looked like they. it was just a deer-in-the-headlights performance. And it, it, it's hard to find anything positive to say, to put a positive spin out on this game. But you alluded it, to it earlier, and I'm going to mention Claire Hendrickson, who was 3-3 three of three from beyond the arc, 3-4 of four overall on the field, and she was a monster. And I actually asked Susie in the post game, talk a little bit about Claire because she's exemplified what this program's about too. Injury after injury after injury, she was actually supposed to undergo another mm-hmm. ankle surgery, leg surgery a couple weeks ago, and she told Merchant, "Nope, not doing it, not doing. It. I'm going to play through it." And well, and when called upon, yes, she, she, she produced, well. and yeah. I, and it wasn't until garbage time. She wasn't until the fourth quarter, but. But you know, you Mer- still... Merchant mentioned perhaps that's mm-hmm. someone they need to consider throwing in the rotation right. because you still, you still got to make the shot. Yes, you know? yes, so... but she she alluded to the fact how she she's playing through a lot more pain than any of the other people are. She's not taking herself out. Mm-hmm. She's throwing her own health well being to the wayside in the best interest of the team. And she's a warrior, and she runs up and down the floor. And you know that if Call nothing else, Spartan. the mistakes, the there's never an effort issue. It might be an execution issue, but everything that she has, she will give you. And that's what Merchant said. Maybe we need more of that. And going forward, we will see if that really translates to anything. But this was a really, really disappointing performance for the Spartans. You knew it was going to be hard to beat Northwestern. That's the the problem now lies in the fact you went from being eight and seven to eleven and seven. You're four and three in conference. You got all the momentum in the world heading back home, and now you're eleven and nine. And you're pretty much there's a greater than fifty percent chance you're headed to the WNIT. And obviously, you take Shea Colley out of the equation, and you have Terry McCutcheon at sixty percent. And if I would have known that at the beginning of the year, I think the expectations would have been tempered. Mm -hmm. But going forward for this team, (laughs) things don't get any easier. Purdue at home this Thursday. We will be at that game. That's a game that I don't want to say they should win, but they should. I'll say it anyway. Uh-oh. Produce, produce five what and four. Did, Nate. I well, what you did. they sh- produce five and four in conference. They're they're meh. They got a couple decent players averaging thirteen points a game. They got another one averaging twelve and a half. So they got some weapons, but they don't have anybody averaging nineteen a game like Pulliam was for Northwestern. They don't have three yeah, people averaging well. above fifteen points a game like Northwestern does, mm-hmm. and it, at least for me, it just, it strikes the fact that they have a long way to go. Right, and then there's one last thing about the Northwestern game, too. Um, They had 35 points off turnovers. Yes. Did you know that? Yes, 35? I did. 35? I've never seen that many points off of turnovers. It, it would turnover, 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 in that press. Like, that's crazy. Mich- Northwestern that's almost half their points. Northwestern <laughs> did not change their defensive scheme at all. They didn't go from running a 2-3 to a 1-3-1 to man to zone. No, it was that 1-3-1 press all night. And Michigan State was mystified from the opening tip on how to solve it, and they couldn't fix it. Jeez. And you would expect that from a young team, but not to experienced players like Karen McCutcheon and Nia Cloudin, who this is their... For Nia, this is her second year in conference. For McCutcheon, this is her fourth. They've seen this before. You see a 1-3-1 over time, but at the end of the day, it was a really disconcerting effort for the Spartans and a game that I thought they would be that they would play better in, that I'm sure the crowd at the Breslin that showed up would play better. And I feel kind of bad for David and Ian because that was the first game they've done all year, and that's the... Show that's that the performance they, got they get the show that they get treated to, but they did a really good job, and I'm really looking forward to working with them as the season continues to tick on. Spartans then would head to Iowa City to square off against the Iowa Hawkeyes at Carver Hawkeye, losing 74 to 57. But 
once again, it's the all-encompassing fourth quarter. That score Mm -hmm. is not indicative of how close this game was. If you look at the box score, first quarter, Iowa outscores Michigan State 14-13. Second quarter, going into the half, it's tied. Third quarter, Michigan State actually outscores Iowa 17-13. So Michigan State goes into the fourth quarter with a 48-46 lead. Fourth quarter, 28-9. Michigan State is outscored. Where where have we heard this before? Were they pressing? I I don't know. I didn't watch the game, but... I mean, I don't know. It's got to be the stamina. I mean, at this point, that's... I don't know what else to I don't know what else to, it I don't want to was, blame it on, but it I don't was know what else to a fifty-three fifty-three game. Tori Osmond drains a three to tie the game up. And over the next five minutes to end the game, Iowa finishes on a twenty-one to four run. And for me, where have we heard this before? This team keeps you hanging on long enough. Oh, they might have a shot. Oh, they might have a shot. LSU, Florida State, Michigan. That Michigan game wasn't, you were there, I wasn't, but that wasn't indicative of how close the game was. They're down by four going into the fourth. It's like, you're 80% of the way I'm there. Sure, I'm pretty sure they were up. I thought they were down by four going into the fourth. Oh, no, it was. they were down four because Amy Dilk hit that three at the buzzer. But they, they we were down they were, yeah, But it was that three that demoralized them, and they were, mm-hmm. again, they were right there, and they hit it for the taking. And half the, th- half the fourth quarter ran by... And they're still within one possession. But in five minutes, you get outscored by 17 points. And then what was supposed to be, you know, a huge road win that would right the wrongs against Northwestern and would put you back on the track to make the tournament, it's another almost 20-point loss. Yeah. And it just, it's a gut punch. Again, looking at the box score, McCutcheon played better, 5 of 10, 12 points, Nia Cloud in 3 of 10. Moira Joyner was two of nine. Kayla Bellis was one of six. Not not the best week for her from the floor. I mean, it looks like over these past two games, it's just like it's can't make a shot. Exactly. Thirty six percent and thirty what thirty five. Five of ten from the free throw line. Kayla Bellis zero of two from the line. Holly exactly. one of two. And Cloud and three another, of four. Another narrative we've seen sometimes. Michigan State gets beat up inside a lot. Iowa had 42 points in the paint, and I think... And and, and State got whistled for 20, 25 personal fouls, too. That's a lot of fouls. Nia Holly fouls out with... That's had five. Clouded fouls. with four. Bellis with five. Osment with four. Cook with three. So basically, everyone, with the exception of McCutcheon, was playing with foul trouble the entire game. And that limits what you can do. That limits mm-hmm. your aggressiveness. That limits the amount of risks that you're willing to take. And it – give Especially McCutcheon credit. She McCutcheon. did what she had yeah. to do. 12 points, 5 assists, played better. Not great, but 5 of 10 from the floor was definitely better. Nia Cloud in 3 – I'll take 50%. I'll take 50%. I will too. I think anybody will. Any day of the Cloud in 3 of 10 from the field. You expect more than that. Four personal fouls. Wasn't the best week, maybe the worst week of the season for her. Well, Holly almost had double digits. She, wow. She did, but... She almost did. But what... <laughs> five fouls, though. That's what gets me. One block and three rebounds. Ideally, you need more than three rebounds from your starting four. She's not the best. Re- She's a good defender. I think nine points is her season high. It might be. I, I think it is. not positive about that. We will check on that. But I might have to step. Joiner Join- right takes a big step back with five points to a nine from the floor. You knew it was bound to happen. Kayla Bellis one for six. It was a bit of a better game for Mardrika Cook three of five from the floor, six points, four boards. But again, it was a it was just a mess shooting. For Julia Arault goes one of six. So in the in the return that she's had since she was uh, hospitalized with that flu spell, she's not been able to hit the broad side of a barn. And you hope that that's not something that derails the rest of her freshman season because other than Moira Joyner, we've sat here time and time and time again to talk about how she appears to be the most college-ready and the most right. ready where you can insert her into a game and you don't have to worry about her missing an assignment, mm-hmm. not blocking out. The fundamental things, the effort things are there. Or even, like, yeah, getting, like, we see... I hate to pick on her sometimes, but against, you know, Michigan when Cloudon was just, like, you know, mentally checked out, I never see that from A-Roll, ever. She's always locked in. She always knows the situation. And, yeah, like we said, most college, or, you know, 
between her and Joyner, most college-ready players, and yeah, I hope, hopefully she can get it back on track, you know, because that's, that's all we can hope for, really, because if the shots don't fall... Then this team's in trouble. Then this yeah. team is in big, big, big trouble because they go as far as she does. And if she has an off night, then they are in pretty big. We, she scores 20 points against, what was it, Ohio State when she had the floater in the lane? It was it was really? Ohio State, yes. It was, it was Ohio State. She had the big bucket going down to the wire, and they win. She was insane against Notre Dame, and they win. So when she scores between that 20-25 point range, Michigan State's a pretty safe bet. But with the exception of that, it was just another mad performance. Kathleen Doyle for Iowa, seven steals, 20 points. She was a big part of the game planning that you knew Michigan State would have to really keep a cap on because Iowa has three girls that were all averaging 15 points and their fourth leading score was averaging six to seven points. So they had a three-headed monster of Kathleen Doyle, Mackenzie Meyer, and Monica Cesano. Cesano actually was relatively held in check, four points. What was It wasn't her best night, but Doyle, 20 points, seven steals, five assists, six rebounds. Meyer, 13 points, three rebounds. So Michigan State did a decent job in keeping that three-headed attack down a little bit, but... McKenna Warnock, who we haven't mm-hmm. who we haven't said her name hardly at all because she's not been a huge contributor this she year so far for Iowa. Twenty two points, ten boards, eight of eleven shooting, and that's it's if it's not one thing with the Spartans, it's another. I mean, you, you shut down that those three as best you can, and then you have someone else going off, and then you have to change it, change your strategy on a win. But I, <laughs> I don't know, Bobby. Maybe you can take this from here. Where does this team go from here? Because I don't know. Well. Let me see. I just had the schedule up. So. I mean, Purdue, I think, is a winnable game. But then right. you go to Northwestern, to Maryland. That's hard. Okay, Maryland, February 3rd, yeah. And then Northwestern. Who you just February lost to by 10th, 30. You have to go just, to Evanston. Right. We're still debating on whether we should go for that or not. Because on one hand, I mean, it's three hours away. But on the other hand, it's I'll not. Make a go. That ain't no. It's 9 o'clock on a Monday night. Oh, yeah. I'm just looking at that now, actually. So, I mean, I don't know. I. Uh, we'll have to talk with the uh, with our bosses, but it's like on one hand, I I, I like I, I want to go to Evanston, I really do, but comparing that, I have a class at nine o'clock the next morning. You're talking about going there, watch them lose by forty five, and drive all the way back and get back at three a.m. and that puts the rest okay. of your week off. You might as well not even go to sleep at that point. So we'll we'll see. Um, if they ran a lot, if they beat Purdue and Iowa, then I say we go, but we'll. We'll definitely have to. Uh, you mean Purdue, Maryland? Well, if, yes, if they okay, beat Purdue and Maryland. Say, what did I say? You said Iowa. So I was oh, like, I, yeah, I'm like, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, 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 no, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the Iowa page here, trying to pull up the exact stats. But it it was a better performance, a much better performance for the Spartans than they had against North. If they play like that against Northwestern, and they play like that into the fourth, and even play mediocre in the fourth, it's a completely different game. Not saying they win. I don't think they do, but they lose by five instead of 35. And, you know, you you start feeling like it's a bit of a broken record saying this, but this team needed these two wins. We talked about this stretch. You needed at least one of them. I said you had to split. You you have to go three and two. Purdue's a game you have to win. But I remember saying, you know, between... Iowa at home, or Iowa on the road, Northwestern at home, Maryland on the road, Northwestern. If you go two and two, you put yourself in good shape. Now, you have a reasonable chance of going one and four. If you beat Purdue, then you go to College Park, and you go to Northwestern, and you lose your 500. At that point, you got 11 losses, and you're playing for the WNIT at that point. Mm -hmm. There are are some winnable games still left on the schedule. You never know, though, Big Ten tourney. Yes. I'm just saying there is a chance. There, There is a very outside chance, yes. But, I was looking at, the, I mean, Penn State the last week of the year, that's at home, should be a win. The fact that Michigan State lost, Penn State's 1-8 in conference, so that was a ugly, ugly, ugly loss, but that also sparked them to beat Ohio State and beat Rutgers. Uh, Illinois, your last 
two games of the year really are quite winnable. Illinois won at seven on the They've had a bad year. You do have to go down to Champaign. But if you beat Illinois, Penn State, Minnesota at home, who's two and seven, and you beat Purdue, that takes you to 15. And I think that's, I mean, Ohio State got into the WNIT last year with 14. So that probably puts you in contention for the WNIT, but I, right now, their tournament hopes, their big turn are on life support. They really are. They just, it's the sheer number of losses. It's just a matter of time before the plug is pulled. You're you're 11 and 9, and you're not done yet. But, I mean, even if you're able to win two out of your next three, then we can start talking in. Then you talk about you're 13 and 10, but you just beat, you know, either Northwestern Maryland on the road would be a heck of a road win. You got to come back home and play Rutgers. And the last five games of the year are a lot more manageable. It's this stretch right now that's really, 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 in my opinion, going to hurt Michigan State because after this Purdue game, we don't have another home game at the Breslin until the 13th when Rutgers comes in. Then you talk about you play Minnesota at home, Minnesota, one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. You go to Purdue, which it's always a tough game playing down in West Lafayette, but they're also not – It's they're not as good as Northwestern, not as good as Maryland, not as good as Rutgers. So I don't know how that one goes. You play Michigan at home. Michigan's been off and on all year. And Michigan State at home, with the exception of the Northwestern game, has been a pretty safe bet all year. And then you have Illinois and Penn State. So realistically speaking, I got my hands on probably three, four games that I think Michigan State will win. And if my my all-knowing bracketology, whatever, holds up, they're looking at about a 15 and 14, 15 and 15 record. I think they got, what, nine more games left? One, two, three, four, five, six. Nine games left. I'm like 15 and 14. I mean, you're 500 on the year. You're like probably 8 and 10 in conference. That will get you into the WNIT, but that's not getting you into the tournament. Not 15 wins ain't going to do it. Just no. Wait, and now, I mean, it, it, the only like saving grace you would, if you can get to 16 and then rattle off a couple in the Big Ten tournament, you might have an outside chance. But... There will be postseason basketball, I think, for this team. I, I I truly believe that because they're not Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Penn State bad. Right. And Charlie Cream, who is the bracketologist for ESPN, who is really the only does really good work, and he's really the only bracketologist that does women's bracketology on a consistent basis right now, has nine Big Ten teams making. And how the WNIT works is, let's say there are nine team selected the 10th team would get an automatic bid to the wnit based on record so and right now michigan state is right on that line so they would either they get the auto bid or they would get an at-large bid if the season ended today we are in that 10th spot exactly (laughs) so and i'm not saying cream's predictions hold up but if they do and in the ideal world that everything he says is right in these standings hold because i think this is probably going to be where they go. I mean, Michigan State does have the tiebreaker over Ohio State, but Ohio State has a couple of easier games coming up at Nebraska and Illinois. They still got uh, Nebraska twice on the schedule. Nebraska's really fallen off a cliff. Do have a couple hard ones, too, so maybe those two swap spots. But other than that, Michigan State's going to be in the ninth or 10th slot. And at that point, I think you are going to see most likely Michigan State bound for the WNIT. I think that's the most realistic aspect. I was alluding to it last week, but I wanted to see how these two games go. Because if you go, if you win those two games and you go 13 and 7, then I say, okay, you're a tournament team. Because you just had three really good road wins against right. three tournament teams. Now, even though you don't have a bad loss, it's just the sheer number of them. Your record on face value at 11 and 9 is not that good. Yeah. Well, this Purdue game is going to be huge because they'll. I hate to be that guy, but they'll probably lose at Maryland. Yes. Probably lose at Northwestern. Yes. You get Rutgers at home, and the next five are against mid-to-bottom-tier Big Ten teams. So if you can salvage, you know, winning, you know, four out of your last five and then coming into, you know, the Big Ten tournament with a little bit of swagger. Then you have a prayer. Exactly. Then you then you have a prayer. That I think that would be our best bet 
well, their best bet. Because Purdue, Purdue mm-hmm. takes you Purdue takes you to 12. Let's mm-hmm. let, let, let's play a little bit of the role of whether they win or lose or not. I'm going to do that because we really haven't done that. And with nine games left, we're starting to get to that point. January rolling on. January will be done in a week. God, that, that went quickly. Yeah. But January goes, and yeah, February, and then obviously you transition to March where oh. everything happens. But I say they beat Purdue. That takes you to 12-9. and nine. You lose to Northwestern. And Maryland, that takes you to 12-11. and 11. That Rutgers game's a toss-up. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. 13-11. Minnesota at home, you're 14-11. and 11. West Lafayette's tricky for me. I say they'll drop that one. You're 14-12. and 12. Michigan at home, you're 15-12. and 12. Illinois, Penn State, 17-12. and 12. You do that. Best case, DJ. Best case scenario. You win two games, and you have a shot. Not a, you know, perfect, but that has to go pretty much according to plan. You have to beat Purdue. You have to beat Michigan at home because Michigan, Michigan's weird for me because they have Nas Hillman, they have Amy Dilk, but they're not. Look, yeah, I mean, they, the first three quarters, they got I mean, clubbed. We right they got clubbed versus Maryland. They got lost to Nebraska, who Michigan State beat. They got clubbed. Actually, they got clubbed by Maryland twice. Lost to Ohio State, thirteen and six, four and four in conference. They're decent. Like probably a seven eight tournament seed, but not a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. That's a game you can win at home. That's a game we've seen them win at home, time after time after time. Rutgers will be hard. That's the one home game I think going forth that's going to be rather tedious and is going to be hard to predict. But if you win that Purdue game and lose your next two, let's say you lose to Rutgers because Rutgers is a good team, that takes you to twelve and twelve. Minnesota should be a win, so that's thirteen. Uh, Illinois and Penn State, those two games I'm going to put in the win column. So worst comes to worst, I think you're looking at a 15-win team. Yeah, that would put you at 9-9 nine and nine in the Big Ten. Which is I mean, that, average. Right, Remarkably but if, average. But if you're in the middle of the pack in a powerhouse conference, you know, you could get a little extra consideration. And that's where you go is this team – you know, conference standing-wise, they don't have any bad losses. I mean, they have a couple good wins. The Rutgers wins huge. Yeah. But you beat Ohio State at home. You beat Nebraska at home. Two borderline tournament teams. Those are decent wins, not great. We thought the Notre Dame win was going to mean a lot more than it did. They've yeah. fallen off a cliff, and that hurts Michigan I, State. On that podcast, we were like, oh, man. We're like, we this could be huge. Like, yes, you know, yes, 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 yes. Sweet 16. Well, and we, we didn't anticipate the health I, I, this is a different team if Shea Colley plays and if Coco Gaines is healthy. Mm-hmm. You give though this team these two back and they don't lose to Penn State and they probably beat Michigan and a couple a couple of those other games that they lost down at the wire LSU, I think you could it would be reasonable to assume they win one of those. Right. So instead of eleven and nine, you're looking at fourteen and six, and that's mm-hmm. a completely different story. Well, especially, you know, the fact that they're both seniors too. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Just like the leadership and talent too because i mean you know you play college basketball for four years you kind of you know you get like the competition level you understand because you know sometimes experience like talent you know is good and all but sometimes experience just takes precedent and to lose you know two of your most experienced players and arguably one of your top players if not your top player that it hurts it, yeah. it, it, and, and it the timing couldn't have been any worse this isn't someone you lost in the offseason, during offseason workouts, this is a player that you game plan around, that you train, that you think is going to be an integral part of this season going into the year, and then you have to adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm. This isn't someone who gets hurt in February, and then you have six months to really groom the next in line, the air. You know, we didn't think that the freshmen, especially Julie Arold, Eliza Winston, would get a ton of playing time. But they've been forced. Mm-hmm. They're, you you got to put five out there every time. Honestly, I mean, it's not the – I love getting any young player's experience whenever I can. You know, if I was a coach where I see fit, obviously if I see, you know, you're young, but, you know, you're going to hurt my team or you're, you know, not going to perform up to standards, and that's one thing. But all these, all these girls could play. Yes. All the freshmen – I mean, you know, Dodd being the one exception, but, you know, she's 
she's raw. She'll she'll, she'll get there. there. She's exactly. just the agility so and the overall. The, like Mo, Julia, Parks, Winston, they could all play. Yes. So to get them experience at this point, I think is awesome. And it's hard though because you have to balance that. I agree with you. But other than Taryn, you really ain't losing much. Right. I mean, you're you're, you're you basically played this entire year. It's almost as if Gaines and Kali graduated Pretty because much. they, they, they they've just not been around. And it, it's not it's yeah. nothing to do with anything they did. It's th- circumstances that have been out of their control. But the end fact is the fact that they aren't healthy and they're not contributing right now. And other than Taryn, you're not going to see really anybody else of significant import go. You have Nia back. You have right. Mo back. You have Bellis and Parks back for two more years. So the question is, how do you balance the talented freshmen with the other people who are also going to be back next year? Because you, Julie Rawl and Tori Osmond both do pretty much the same thing. Guard two through four, they're kind of in a log jam right now. Bellis and Parks are in a log jam right now. So Eliza Winston and Joyner are in a log jam right now. So you can't just put Nia Clowden on the bench. Not averaging 15 points as a sophomore, you can't just throw tear into the wolves. That's not right. That would be the equivalent of Michigan State saying, all right, Cassius, we appreciate everything you've done. But yeah, we're, we're going to groom the next tier we're of players. Groom Foster Lawyer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're going to groom Jack Hoybert. It just, it, it, it's, not, it's not ethical, and it's not something that Susie, I'm sure, would even think of considering because... If this was, it would be a lot more of a black and white situation if you were losing a lot. Right. Marjorie Cooks, a Richard Jr., you got her for one more year. She's a four through and through. But, I mean, other than Taryn and Nia Holly, who are you losing? You can't just, you're, you're losing two players. And at this point, mm-hmm. Nia Holly's minutes are, are going down, you know, 15, 20 a game because as much as I hate to say it, I love the way she plays the game. I love the way she presents herself. <laughs> But she's a liability on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. 21 points a game. I mean, not nine points against Iowa's phenomenal. But we've seen her sleepwalk through the first half of conference play, you know, three points, four points, two points, three points. And it's no like, you, that's yeah. not good enough for someone getting 20 points. You have to put the ball in the net. Doesn't matter how good your defense is, how good your rebounding is. If, if you're a rotation player. That's one thing. Exactly. If you're a Marcus Bingham player, like when Marcus Bingham only has five points against Illinois, but has twelve rebounds, I know right, he starts like four blocks. You know, I know, like, I know he starts, but you're also rotating in Kithier, Malik Hall, those guys getting fifteen mm-hmm. minutes a game. Julius Marble, that you'll take. You'll take Taylor Parks off the bench, giving you three, four points and ten boards, but not for someone who's a senior, not for someone who's really had a chance to take this job and run with it. Because we all know how much senior experience, leadership. The whole nine yards means to Merchant. And the fact that Holly's only getting 21 points a game, you're seeing Osmond play more, Aralt's playing more, Marjorie Cook is playing more. Well, that and the fact, you know, she came into this season, like, she had a different body than she did last yes. season. She yes. She worked on it, you know, she really can, you know, she really worked hard in the, you know, in the summer and you could see it. But then, then what? It's like... Because, I, you know, I didn't cover the team last year, so I don't know what her stats were. And I mean, I, I was only in on a fill, and I did six, seven but, games I mean, last year. You but know, it can't be worse than this. It, she was never a scoring. Even this year, she was never a scoring threat. I don't want to say not a scoring threat, but wasn't someone that you had to game plan around. Right. Like, when, when, you're, when you're looking at a scouting report for Michigan State, you go, Nia Cloudon's the one we have to put a cap on. Taryn McCutcheon's the one we need to make sure they don't go off. You're not looking at a scouting report saying, oh, Nia Holly with her three points a game. Might as well put our best defender on her. No. she. I don't exactly. I think it was in the four or five point range, something like that. But I knew going into this year she wasn't going to be a huge offensive contributor. I, I figured she would be someone who would relieve Shea off the bench, give you quality minutes, really be a veteran presence on that second unit when you would have some of those younger freshmen. But there's not an easy fix right now. Because you're almost stuck in basketball purgatory. You're too good to just throw the season down the drain and say, screw it, we have nothing to play for. You're not Penn State. You're not Illinois. You still have one of the best point guards in the Big Ten. You still have a really good young core and a bunch of other players who are returning who 
have a potential. Moira Joyner has the potential to be something special. Honestly, special, special. Class, this whole freshman class. They do. I mean, could they be, do. Are, could be the best class we've ever seen. Parks and Bellis, though both of those you've seen time and time again. You've seen why Susie Merchant recruited them to East Lansing. But it go. It's how do we? At what point do you pull the plug with one player and say the other one? You know, the other one get in because there's one school of thought where you screw up. Okay, out. You're done. Another one is. Let them play through it. Let them learn on the fly because that's how games are mm-hmm. in basketball. But it's hard when looking at the roster. I mean, theoretically speaking, you want to see more of Ellis, more of Parks, more of Cook, more of Osmond, more of Arolt, more of Winston, more of Joyner. But there's only five spots on the floor. There's right. not ten. So you really – and it, it, it's a task. I'm not. I'm happy I don't have to manage oh, yeah. because – I can never be a basketball coach. I can because, never be a coach in any sport. Honestly. Because for someone, for a program that's proud like this program is, for someone like Susie Merchant, who has led this team to the NCAA tournament time and time and time and time again, it's not in their DNA to just not tank, but develop the youth. You know what I mean? Like, take wins and losses out of the equation. Our goal now is to prepare for next year and get our youth some experience. Yeah, for the they're, most part, they're like at this point, they're... For the most part, you know, they're competing. They're yes. not like you're you're too good but you're you're not you're not good enough where you can start resting your starters and planning for the NCAA tournament like Northwestern Iowa. Even though they won't yeah. admit it, they know they're in. You have mm-hmm. you're seventeen and three in the Big Ten. You're in. Yeah. You you, you need two more wins and you're, you're a pretty you're safe bet. Yes. Yes. In the Big Ten, then you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're pre- you're Iowa, Indiana. Maryland, Rutgers, Rutgers, Rutgers is up there, yes. So they're making. I mean, they know they're in. They're preparing for March. That's when you start doing the load management things and this, that, and the other. But there is no easy fix. There is no easy. And with that, folks, we're going to transition into our final topic of the night, Michigan State taking on Purdue this Thursday. And for me, this is a game Michigan State has to win. And I know I've said that over and over and over and over again. But Purdue is the epitome of a team that you look at and go, they're not bad, but they're not really good either. They're a very mediocre. What does that sound like? Us. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly, exactly. I'm like, that sounds very familiar. They're a, they've got players, they got some they got some athletes, but they don't have a Lindsey Pulliam. They don't have those elite level conference players. They got Car- Carissa McLaughlin's a player. They got mm. different players who you have to look out for. Ariana Harris, both of them are averaging 13 a game. But there's not someone averaging 16, 17, right. 18, 19 a game. But you, know, they- you go down the roster, it's pretty I mean, there's like, yeah, there's no one that really like stands out other than you know, um, McLaughlin. McLaughlin. <laughs> if I could talk, oh my goodness, and Harris. But I mean, Dominique Odin, you know, she still got double digits at twelve and a half. But you know, outside of that, yeah, you, you have three players in double digit figures. And I think Michigan right. State has two, and Joiner I think's right knocking on that door. Mm-hmm. But at thirteen, thirteen, twelve and a half, so it's not. They're not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. They're good. They're good players, and obviously, Ariana Harris and her swan song season has been a has been pretty pretty good. I was going to say monster, but I'm not ready to bestow that honorary title on her yet. 13 points a game, eight monster. and a half rebounds. That's pretty pretty good. Tamara Farquhar, if you go down the list, is giving and seven point three points and seven and a half boards a game in a uh, couple minutes of action. So. They have some players, but it's more of a, it, it reminds me of the Michigan State versus Indiana game this past, what was that? It wasn't Sunday, was it Thursday, Friday, when they went down to Bloomington? I think it was Thursday. I think it was Thursday, and it's, you look at the Indiana roster, and you go, okay, solid player, solid player, solid player, solid player, but they don't have a Cassius Winston. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're Michigan State, if you can make all of those players just play up to their season average, I think you have a good shot. I think you have a really good shot, because... This Purdue team is a mortal team. This Purdue team is a team that lost to Rutgers, got run off the floor by Indiana and Indiana like Michigan State did, lost to Northwestern, lost to Minnesota at home, which is a bad loss. Mm-hmm. Minnesota 2-7 and seven in conference, beat Penn State, 
beat Nebraska on the road, but Nebraska's kind of fallen off the wayside lately. So looking at them, it's it, it's a team I think that if you play on a neutral court, is probably a little bit better than we are, but not anybody that's going to make you go screaming and running away. Mm-hmm. And if you're Michigan State, you're going to have the crowd with you this time. And I will guarantee you that if they come out like they did in their last game at home against Northwestern, Merchant is going to unleash her and her Steve Kerr and start breaking. Flipboard. Yes. Yes, yes. And I think she'll bob night him and throw a chair out there? I don't know, but she was at, on the floor. You don't really see her. You, you see her, you like, see her instruct the players, but, but you don't see her, the Izzo screaming versus, you know, the Izzo screaming at Aaron Henry from last year in the tournament. That's what it was a couple times. It was that intense. Wow. Not, like, needing to be held back or anything, but, you know, the face red, the finger pointing in your face, and it, it, it was, like, this. this is... Super Saiyan Susie Merchant. This isn't normal Susie Merchant. This is a Susie Merchant who's about ready to lose it. That's how frustrated she was. Because for a coach like that, it goes, okay, I've seen your best. You just played your best game of the year, and then you go from looking like a tournament team to looking like Detroit Mercy. You can't do that and be a tournament team. You can't go that far back. And whether you want to attribute it to fatigue schedule, schedulers did them no favors. I'm just going to say, you have to go from Piscataway, three, on MLK, you're you're playing Piscataway on the night of MLK Day, you're back home on Thursday night, and then you have to fly out to Iowa. That's basically half the country that you just covered in a week. Right. So, and in between half the country, you have another game. Exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't do them any favors, but at the end of the day, everybody... They rotate, you're rotating a lot of players, one. Mm-hmm. So I don't think fatigue should really be that much of a problem because this team goes 10 deep. And you're rotating in Osmond's getting 10 to 15 a game. Jordan's being taken out for A-Rald at times. Marjorie Cook, Parks. Other than Nia Cloud and Taryn McCutcheon, no one else is really getting above 25 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So there's really no reason for people to be taking themselves out of practice because they're tired or they're sore or they need to go suck their binky. You know, it just, I I I don't know what's going on with this team right now. I, I don't, because I don't know whether whether to attribute it to young inexperience. Obviously, you get so high on yourself that you think you're good, and then you think you can beat anybody. I mean, you, you, you struggled Until on the road. You get beat by everybody. You, 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 you beat a 15-3 and three team. You go, oh, we're back home. We haven't lost at home. And then Northwestern shows you how a real tournament team prepares how a real tournament team goes about their business and you know gets in does their business gets out that was one of the messages when i played football for celine that our coach joe Polka used to tell us don't get too high don't get too low you do your job you go in in this case it would be for what 48 minutes i should know this i should know high school football no 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 not uh, um what is it's it's what four 12 minute quarters yeah I'm not, I'm not going, for women? yes, I'm not oh, going, it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minute count. I, I've had a long day, but anyway, right. you go in for 40 minutes, you take care of your business and you go out. Mm-hmm. That's and all you need you to do. Yep. You execute, but if you get punched in the mouth, you go back, you know, you go back on the sideline, you take a quick breath and then you do it again. You don't hang your head and let one mistake turn into two and then turn into 10. And that's exactly what they did against Northwestern and they did it against Iowa. We've talked about the fact that they've gotten punched in the mouth in the fourth quarter and folded, and I honestly thought they were past that after the come-from-behind win against Ohio State when they blew that nine-point lead in the Nia Cloud and mm-hmm. with the huge and one play to give them a lead, and she has a steal, drains the two free throws, the rest is history. They were, you and me did the Wisconsin game. They got out to a 21-12 lead, and then Wisconsin goes on that monster run, and before you know Michigan State's down 29-23. Mm-hmm. Come back, take care of business, end up winning by 17 Rutgers game, Michigan State's up pretty much the entirety of that game. Rutgers goes on a run toward the late part of the game, goes ahead by two points. Michigan State finds a way in a hostile environment when the kids don't have school to find a way and finds a way to win. It's like, okay, three separate times on three back-to-back games, you got punched in the mouth and you responded. So for me, that signal, okay, we're turning a corner. And then and then one step forward, That's I think that should be the title of this episode, one step forward, two steps back. Because that's what it's been this entire Season and that's what it was against Iowa. And that's what it was against Iowa. That's what it was against Iowa. I remember watching the game on my phone while me and my friend and also sports director Luke Sloan went over to Meat Barbecue over in Lansing. It is awesome. It is really. 
All right, there's this uh, sandwich called the Chin Gorilla, even though I know the Chin Gorilla sounds like a wrestling move, but it's beef brisket, roasted pineapple, caramelized onions, and what else? And uh, bacon. And oh, and then with like this coffee-based barbecue sauce. Oh, it was so good. Then you have these little like crinkle-cut like Cajun fries. I'm not gonna lie, I'm drooling, man. I'm drooling. Oh, it was really, really good. But I remember watching the game, and I look over to Luke, and I go. He, because I show him the score on my phone, and he goes, "Oh, maybe they'll actually." Do. I'm like, "They're gonna blow it." I have yep, seen this scene saying. 50 times. We get back, 10 minutes. Oh, how are they doing? Eh, they got outscored by 17 points in five minutes. That sounds about accurate. It's the one stretch. You're 85% of the way to there, but it's the last 15% where you keep stumbling over yourself and falling over. And until this team is able to rectify that on a consistent basis. You can't keep having these games where you have three good games, two bad games, three games. You have to you. The men's team has one or two bad games against Purdue, but then you see them win five in a row. Okay, they've earned that right. This team has it, not at the current point that they are at. And, and just one more thing about Purdue too. Um, I'm looking at their team stats right now. One of their weak points: turnovers per game, seventeen and a half, while their opponents only average 14. And if they like to turn the ball over, I can see, you know, Michigan State, if they, you know, get some turnovers off the press early, get some fast buckets, and then guess what's going to happen? Absolutely. I but it's gonna, And then it's going to happen again. But you, Michigan State can't turn the ball over either. They, we've struggled right. time and time right. and time right. and time and time. Again, but it's, it, it's for me, I don't know what Spartan team we see. I think we see a team that's angry. I think we see a team that knows they blew it, and they've shown a lot more resiliency at home because I am not going to let that Northwestern performance dictate how I perceive the whole home season. They were 9-0 going into that game, right. and that bad Northwestern performance doesn't take away from the fact that they were really impressive against Ohio State. They were really impressive against Wisconsin. They were really impressive against Nebraska. Nebraska and Ohio State, according to Cream right now, are tournament teams. So it's there. The potential is there. It's just putting it all together and it's having the ability once you're punched in the gut to not show your belly and roll around in the mud. Well, and, that and just like, yeah, to keep it going to like, we've seen good stretches from this team, but it'll only be, you know, three games, you know, the beginning of the season, you know, cause we didn't play, you know, many good teams, you know, the first five, six games, we looked fantastic. And then, yeah, that three-game stretch, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Rutgers, not in that order, I know, but, you know, we had a really good stretch there, and it's like, all right, here we come, and then all of a sudden, you just lose it. It's like, I don't understand how you can flip the switch so drastically, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, like, I it's, do. It's just frustrating to watch, just like this team overall throughout this whole season, I don't know if it's just because I've never covered a team like this before, but, like, from the ups and downs, from, like, you know, injuries to Shea Kali to, like, this is, like, one of the wackiest sports teams I've really ever seen. From everything going on behind the scenes to, you know, just the waves of the season, it's it's pretty whack. I agree with you. I agree. But I, it, in the games I've done, I, and I've done a fair amount, what, doing MSU football this year, doing field hockey, and they that that's a story for another day. They have a lot of good young potential. You can check out all my work. I wrote game previews. I wrote player previews, so on and so forth. Impact they didn't win a conference game. They didn't win a conference game. I mean, the Big Ten was a juggernaut. Two, when when two-thirds of the conference are ranked, it's hard to win. But oh, they did yeah. not win a conference game. Did did softball. did softball last year, went 16-34. Mm-hmm. and 34 was a pain to watch. So I don't know whether it's just a me effect, like every team that I covered, like just wilts and dies. Well, hopefully you're not on the men's beat. (laughs) You're not wrong. You are not wrong. But You can't have the men's team die. No, no. I I, I just, I, I, they're awkward, but it's, at least they have highs. It's not just a team that's a perennial low where it's like your heartbeat, you know, is woo. You know, I I I don't know. I I, I don't know where Very this team goes on from the, here. On the machine, just beep. So I, I I don't I I don't know. I feel like I've said everything that needs At to be this said. Point, we can only wait and see, really. Exactly, and we, really oh, we will be back here. You know, it feels weird not having Charlotte Sutton here. I know Sutton put it in the 
put in the group chat that he wasn't going to be here, and I completely, that went over my head, and then I got a text from Charlotte like 10 minutes before it's supposed to begin. Yeah, it's talking creative thinking. Probably won't be able to come. And it's like, I understand 1,000% because I had that class last, mm-hmm. not last semester. Last or, what, before that. Yes, it it was brutal. Oh, Just yada have- yeah. The conveyor, I I did, yeah, the conveyor Mm -hmm. belt of mediocrity, it just made me want to beat my head through a drywall door. I'm on it, man. (laughs) But it, uh, it, it, it. It was not a fun, not a fun class. With you on Tuesday night, name about women's basketball. I don't mind. Well, yeah, it it, it's it's one of those things where you come in and you're like, what do I say? And then it just naturally starts flowing. It really does. You don't really need to think about what exactly. What exactly to say? So, um, naturally, I uh, I feel like we've kind of <laughs> hit all of our bases, and I mm-hmm. don't know how long this pod has been because the little recorder thing that we use to monitor our time has eight thirteen. Oh, right. I think we've been going for we've been going minutes. for about an hour here. So I I, I don't know what time we got. Yeah, Seven twenty. I know you got money on what is it? Phoenix and. Phoenix Mavericks, baby. Phoenix, or I took Phoenix on Mavericks. See, I don't know why people bet in basketball. It just makes no sense to me. You know, you see, Nate, when you're when you're good at betting basketball, you bet basketball. Yeah, that, that that's the most Ryan Collins <laughs> quote I've ever said. So, with that, folks, for all of you, for all those of you out there, I know that we sounded really negative today, but I encourage you to not stop believing on this team. So and we are gonna end today's pod by playing a little bit of Journey. I'm Nathan Stearns in the host chair once again for Bobby Zephro. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday until the end of March to bring you guys Michigan State's premier women's basketball podcast content. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'll stop believing.